Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. The best run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome and welcome. Those of you who follow all of our Game Changer shows know when I say two welcomes, that means two guests. When I say three, that's three. When I say so on and on. So welcome and welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. What an exciting show we have for you today. What's the buzz? Are you ready to hire C3PO and R2D2? Scratching your head? You might not be able to because somebody else might already have put them on the payroll. What is she talking about? Let's get started. Trying to emerge from behind the unexpectedly strong curve of the growth of the contingent workforce. HR and HR technology have been playing catch up for how long? Over a decade, that's 10 long years, trying to figure out why didn't they know it was coming. Well, the speed of change that brought us what we're calling the gig economy, you know, you work part-time here, you work sometime there, you're a consultant, you come in for seasonal, whatever it is. That speed is nothing when compared to the speed at which autonomous robots are becoming a part of your workforce. If they're not there yet, I think you better look out the back door or the front window because I think they're waiting in line. They're here, they're real, and they're not going away anytime soon. What does this mean for HR? Well, a lot. It means HR now has to adapt many of its processes now, right now, this very moment, to accommodate these non-human workers. But how do they do it? Which processes do they have to look at? How fast does it have to come? How comprehensive? What's the real difference between these processes for the humanoid workers and the robot non-human workers. A lot of questions on the table. We have two experts here today who are going to help take us through whatever it is we're looking at, this minefield, perhaps manning, womaning by robots joining us side by side in the workforce. As if it isn't enough that we already have five generations of humans, we now have non-humans, so there. First up on the panel, I'm pleased to welcome a newcomer to Game Changers Radio. She is Naomi Bloom a managing partner at Bloom and Wallace. And Naomi sent me a quote for her opening in her very own words, and they are profound. Naomi says, HR cannot afford to miss the boat on the growth in size and importance of the robotic workforce. There, she put it right out for us. Naomi Bloom, welcome. How are you? I'm very well, and thank you for including me. Well, we are delighted to have you. Uh, We'll get into a little bit of your background later. But, Naomi, tell me, why did HR miss the curve with the contingent workforce? And do they know, or or, are people tuning in today, Naomi, just now finding out that robots are here and they might have to put them to work? What do you observe? I think they missed the contingent workforce because they didn't want to see it. Um, When I started working, uh, you know, the average person had a full-time job. It was fairly continuous. Often they stayed with one company for much of their career, and uh, it was called personnel management. Um, In those days, we had contingent workers, but they were onesie here and twosie there. They weren't part of the strategic uh, workforce management decisions. Uh, They were uh, individual manager decisions and maybe a little procurement involvement. It wasn't a big deal. 
but it started to be a big deal much more than 20 years ago, and it took about 10 years before HR kind of woke up and said, you know, I think we have to deal with this. So who in HR first started to deal with this? Is there one person, one company, one region, one country, Naomi? Did somebody wake up one day and say, OMG, look at how many people we have coming in and out of this revolving door. They're not here full time. We better take notice. Uh, well, the, was US there an... was, was, the U.S. was really in front of this because okay. um, as a more capitalist of the developed economies, uh, it's a lot easier to use contingent workers than it, than it was in many European countries and others. The first real notice of this was compliance. There started to be compliance issues. We started to have contingent workers having altercations with regular workers. We started to have uh, labor unions putting up a fuss, and understandably so. So there started to be some grinching of the gears as mm-hmm. contingent workers were beginning to, uh, you know, take the kinds of positions that otherwise were filled with long-term regular employees. Naomi, tell me something. Um, when I was looking, I was a for, I'm a former programmer analyst from way back in the day. You and I are probably somewhere along that back in the day Absolutely. time frame. I think I don't know where Sherry Ann is in this. She keeps telling me she's close to my age. She's a boomer, but I don't believe her, not at all. <laughs> uh, I remember Naomi in between jobs, and I I sometimes was out of work for a year or two, and I remember looking into the well, now we call it the contingent workforce in New York of programmers for hire on right. a contingent basis, and I remember p- going to a consulting agency. They looked at my credentials. They said we might be able to use it. I was a crackerjack COBOL programmer back in the day. Ate, slept, and drank, walked, talked, and breathed COBOL 24 hours a day, and I loved it. And I remember them saying, well, if we can put you into a gig at this big consulting firm in Manhattan, it would be great. You might get six months, and then you're going to go on the beach. I said, well, what's the beach? And they said, the beach is when your, your assignment is done, and we put you back in the list, and you hang out. You do whatever you want want and maybe we'll find another gig for you good luck. I never did work for them I went to another major corporation but very interesting if on the just looking at the contingent workforce today is that the way the gig economy is working where people are in jobs being paid and then they're sitting waiting or is it is there more of a flow to it just curious well, I think there's more of a flow to it because now there are more uh, tools available for that type of a worker to find their next gig And there are more agencies available that are really leased employee agencies where um, there's somebody looking out for exactly these kinds of positions. But I Mm -hmm. want to circle back to just for just a moment your point about being on the beach. Yes. Because especially (laughs) in tech, there have always been folks who literally took a six-month gig and then did spend six months at the beach because they could Mm -hmm. earn enough with that gig to support them. Ah. The break point was the big law case, uh, uh, the big litigation against Microsoft when a bunch of contract workers Mm -hmm. sued Microsoft saying, you know, we're really employees, and we really deserve the benefits, including stock plan. And that's when employers got, oh, my God, you know, we have some of these managers out in the field bringing in a contractor and keeping the same contractor for three years. And I remember so I when I went to compliance was really yes. compliance litigation those kinds of issues really brought this to the fore. Very so interesting, and that poses a, people started this is what you're saying. 
and 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 Sherry Ann, I'm going to bring you on in a second. But do you think that robots are non-human workforce now? Do you think they would ever say, "Wait a minute, Mr. Microsoft, I've been working here for 14 <laughs> years and I'm not getting full benefits"? And and Sherry Ann, Naomi, let me introduce Sherry Ann because her quote is going to take care of part of this. And Naomi, thank you for indulging my questions. I appreciate your going off on that tangent. I wanted to follow. Now you know how the show works. Sherry Ann Meyer, of course. Sherry Ann is is our sponsor of this series. Sherry Ann at ASUG America's SAP Users Group. And Sherry Ann always sends, usually sends me a movie quote. We've had The Wizard of Oz. We've had A League of Their Own. We've had Legally Blonde. We've had Leopold and Kate. And today we just, just have a quote from Wired. Let me read it. It's long, but it's, I think it's going to address the question. Sherry Ann sends the best quotes. She says, the robots haven't just landed in the workplace. They're expanding skills. They're moving up the corporate ladder. They're showing awesome productivity and retention rates, ooh, and increasingly shoving aside their human counterparts. One multitasker bot, B-O-T, the second half of robot, from Momentum Machines can make and flip a gourmet hamburger in 10 seconds, and guess what? They could soon replace the entire McDonald's crew, OMG. And a manufacturing device from Universal Robots doesn't just solder, paint, screw, glue, and grasp. It builds new parts for itself on the fly when they work wear out or bust. Just this week, and I don't know what the reference point time-wise is, Google won a patent to start building worker robots with personalities. Sherry Ann, you're <laughs> scaring me. Welcome, welcome, welcome back, our weekly guest. Sherry Ann, how recent was this quote from Wired? There's so much good stuff in here. Talk to me. Oh, I know. That's an, I love Wired. Um, it's pretty recent. I don't know. The, I don't remember the exact date, but it's very, very recent. And that came about because Naomi brought this topic to me, and I thought, well, you know, we've had robots around for a while. How bad could this be? You know, they can't really do that much. So I did a little research on my own, which was how I stumbled upon that Wired article, and I was, like, shocked, you know. Um, If they can build robots with personalities and they can get snarky with us, I I think, I don't know, it could be a little fun, but it could also be problematic for the workplace for HR policies and practices, and I think we'll see some new legislation out of it. I, I agree. And Sherry Ann, I Googled it, and it looks like it came up on Wired Rise of the Machines. The future has lots of robots, few jobs for humans. And they are, I think it was written by Rob, uh, Martin Ford. His picture is here. And they're showing his book, Rise of the Robots, Technology and the Threat of a Jobless Future. I'm trying to see if there's a date on this thing. Uh, Make Tech Human, enabled by Nokia. I see that as well. Lots of ads here. Uh, I am not seeing the date on this article, but I, I suspect it was fairly recent. Can't tell. Okay, good. So, Sherry Ann, to my comment to Naomi, do you think that these personality-imbued robots that Google's trying to make will actually come to an HR department, knock on the door and say, hello, I'm Mary Robot or I'm, I'm Robbie Robot and uh, I'm not getting the right benefits and I want more money? <laughs> How is that? Is that going to happen, Sherry? And seriously, do you think it would ever happen if Google gets snarky in the personalities they create? Well, first of all, I don't think we can ever sit back and think that nothing is impossible. Anything's impossible, right? I mean, we've seen so much change in the last decade alone, things that we couldn't possibly have imagined. And that's part of what I like about this topic is that it might happen, it might not happen, but what I like about topics like this is it causes you to pause and think. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in the HR profession, we're so heads down trying to keep up with compliance in the day-to-day workplace that we tend not to look forward that far. 
Um, and I think if we could, that we'd be much, much better off and we'd have a, a much more progressive human resources function and that would benefit the business. So that's one of the reasons I like this topic. But I also think that it raises an interesting question because you, we don't know what we don't know. And I don't know that the snarky robot's going to walk in my office and ask for benefits, but it's certainly going to have an impact on the rest of the workforce. And I believe that's where contingent labor sort of hit us in the face. Yes, it was contingent workers that raised the issue with Microsoft, but certainly internally, too, there were issues of not feeling, of, you know, doing all this work, working late hours, being part of the team, and yet not being treated as part of the team because mm-hmm. the employees that were there weren't part of the team. Now, those are all very human emotions, but, I mean, certainly you can see where there could be fallout within your human resources policies and practices. And, and I think and I the don't danger think is that HR is going to sit 30 back. years into the future to see a very good example of this that's happening right now, not the, not the asking for more money and benefits, but the computer, the uh, robot with personality. The, mm-hmm. the Japanese faced with a real, uh, a real lack of workers to take care of, uh, to do elder care because they have an aging workforce and they don't have a lot of immigration. They have developed some robots that are specifically targeted at elder care, and they're cuter in hell, and they do have some personality, maybe not sophisticated personality, but they, they absolutely interact in a way that feels okay. And, you know, that type of worker working alongside or on a team with human workers, mm-hmm. let's say in an elder care facility of some kind, um, begins to feel like, you know, another member of the team. Yep. I, I, I'm trying to remember the name of the movie. Do, do, was the movie Her? Was that the one where Scarlett yes. Johansson was the voice? And and the shock to the, the man in the movie was at the end he found out that her or she, as this robot with very much of a personality and seeking intimacy at a very deep level with the, the subject or the human partner, <laughs> she was talking to thousands of other guys now talk about being double talked by your date my goodness it's like what seriously so we're going to have to adjust an awful lot of thoughts about about sense of belonging and loyalty and respect and availability but if exactly yeah it's kind of frightening belonging and loyalty yep i I want to go back, and, and we could apply that to our discussion of the workplace. Naomi Bloom, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself. We have time because we have a smaller panel than usual. So tell me a little bit about what, what does Bloom and Wallace do, and I know you're a very renowned consultant and an influencer in the HR tech industry. Just give us a little background on yourself, please. Well, like you, I started out as a computer programmer and, uh, you know, did autocoder and BAL and COBOL and um, PL1 and everything that was going in the 60s. Um, and and up, really up through the, I programmed right up through the late 70s. Okay. Um, but, I, you know, I moved on. I ran consulting practices. I managed very, very large software development projects with, you know, hundreds of people. Um, since 1987, I've been a solo, and I've been focused exclusively on improving the practice of uh, human resource management by embedding as much intelligence as possible in HR technology. Um, and that really stems from my concern, a concern from my early career, but it, it's just as true today, that while we have some marvelous, some really strategic, forward-looking uh, HR professionals, we don't have enough of those to go around. 
and we have many other people, uh, you know, in the profession or in uh, HR admin roles who, as uh, Sherry Ann said, they kind of keep their heads down. They're focused on today. They're not necessarily learning the business. Um, and so, you know, we're trying to use the technology to carry more of our best HR thinking out there to managers and employees and uh, everybody else who has a need to know. Thank you, Naomi. Interesting question I'm going to pose to both of you ladies before we get to the what are you drinking, because that's part, a de rigueur part of our show. Question is... College, education, preparation for entering the workforce. The people who are teaching HR as a profession to young people today, are they hip and savvy and understand how many generations, sherri as we like to say, are work, five generations working side by side in the workforce in many companies around the world today, as well as the contingent workforce and, of course, now the autonomous robots, non-human workforce. Do the people who are training newcomers into the HR profession have the savvy to prepare them to be the people Naomi was saying we don't see yet in the ranks of HR? Naomi, you want to address that first? You know, I, I wish I could say yes, but I think the right answer is no. Um, I am a fellow of the Human Resource Policy Institute housed at um, the Boston University's uh, Graduate Business School. And the members of that are HR executives, the, the chief HR executives at a range of companies. The professor who facilitates it is fabulous. But um, how fa- however fabulous he might be and knowledgeable about leadership and performance and so forth, that doesn't mean he's conversant with technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of the reasons they elected me a fellow, to bring that perspective. But that pops up everywhere. Uh, it's very hard for faculty members to stay conversant with technology if they don't have the opportunity to actually work with it. So I'm not talking okay. here about personal productivity mm-hmm. tools. I'm talking right. about if they haven't gotten their hands dirty with an SAP, an Oracle, a Workday, other kinds of products, new big products as well as smaller ones, if they're not actively engaged, it's very hard for them to stay current. Mm-hmm. Very, very good point. I think that's what I was looking for exactly. sherri any comments, any thoughts on what Naomi just shared? Well, one of the things that I've been doing is studying with SHRM, the Society for Human Resources Management, And they certainly have technology called out as part of the strategic portion of your human resources responsibilities. But Naomi is absolutely right. There's not enough focus on it. Um, You know, I think what she says about, you know, having been part of a project is certainly key, but there are other ways to become savvy in it. We talk about HR having to become financially strategic, and I think this is the same thing. Like, just keep reading, just keep your mind open, and listen to shows like this, read some of the things that we publish around HR technology and what the future could hold. I think if we could encourage them to have a more future-forward mindset by participating in conversations and dialogue, that would help. And I don't think that universities or education programs that I've seen for human resources professionals are really focusing on getting them to think strategically in a future-focused way. Mm-hmm. I was Good actually having this conversation mm-hmm. with a cousin, a young cousin of mine, who's two years out of a computer science degree. And he's very anxious to uh, you know, in- increase his skill, maintain his skill, broaden his horizons. And as Sherrianna said, I've been pointing him not to textbooks, not to university courses. I've been pointing him to MOOCs because there's some really good things available mm-hmm. for free. And I've been mm-hmm. pointing to I've been doing the same thing. authors. Mm-hmm. 
specific bloggers? I think bloggers and MOOCs, and I also think membership groups like you're part of and I'm part of, Naomi, are very, very valuable to people because they learn from each other. And in my experience, there's there's things you just can't learn textbook-wise or from reading, but from getting those connections and being able to talk with someone about, well, what what could that really mean to me? And having We're also very fortunate that there are some big trade shows that are an extremely good investment. Yes, they're expensive in time, travel costs, registration fees, so it's a big expense. But a few mm-hmm. days where you can go head-to-head with every vendor on the planet and go to sessions that have been carefully curated, I think that can be a very good investment of time as well. Thank you both. Good insights. I want to just mention for those in our audience who may or may not know what a MOOC is or may not be an English first language speaker, MOOC is M-O-O-C. It's Massive Open Online Course. M for Massive, O for Open, O for Online, C for Course. And if you're curious, just put in M-O-O-C in your your Google search engine or whatever you use. And there is a website called MOOC-List. LIST.com, and it has a complete list of MOOCs. There's MOOC.org. There is uh, MOOC on MOOCs.org. There is MOOCMOOC.com. I said, you sound like something out in the field. MOOC, MOOC. Anyway, enough. So if you're looking to find out, and I'm going to make a a New Year's resolution early, uh, Naomi and Sherry, and I'm going to take a MOOC in January. I'll find something that appeals to me. I don't know what, but I'll find something because I want to experience it too. Guess what? It's time for us almost to take a break. Naomi Bloom, I warned you on the prep call. I'm going to ask you, my friend, what are you drinking right now during the show or what? What are you planning to drink? Ah, when we're off the air. Talk to me. The second we're done, Mount Gay <laughs> rum, tonic, and lime hold the ice. Oh, say that again. I want to hear that one more time. Yeah, Mount Gay rum. It's yep. a wonderful Bajan rum. The sailors, uh, universal sailors drink with uh, tonic and lime and no ice. Wow, that sounds good. I just looked it up in mountgayrum.com. You can see everything you want to know here. There's a there's Eclipse, there's Extra Old, there's Black Barrel, there's all kinds of and Mount Gay Rum Distilleries is based in of course Barbados. That's important. If you, yes. If you stress me out completely, um, I'll have to go for one of the more expensive ones, but normally I drink Eclipse. <laughs> oh, I found it here. Isn't it interesting? Uh, I warned you, I think, that I like to do lookups while we're on the air, and this was one of the more fun ones. Sherry Ann, I don't know if you can match that for excitement and exoticness <laughs> of the drink, but try. I, I really can't. Uh, it's a rainy, drizzly, <laughs> dreary day here in Pennsylvania, and I came right home and popped in some salted caramel hot chocolate in the Keurig, so that's what I'm sipping on. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds good. And and Naomi doesn't know me well, Sherry Ann does. I'm just having a cool, clear drink of water in a nice glass mug. My straw is green today for money and prosperity and all those good things for the new year. And uh, Naomi, they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. And today is a double header day. So therefore, it's just water and I'm feeling good about it. So what choice do I have? Anyway, ladies, we're going to take a break and give you both a chance to wet your whistle on something. Naomi, no rum for you till after the show. Exactly. And we're we're going to see see what's happening with C3PO and R2D2. Our topic today is it's not all about employees. 
Ah, we're going to find out more about that. You're listening to Game Changing HR Leaders Radio, presented by SAP and ASUG, America's SAP Users Group. My very special guest today. They're chatty, they're smart, they're savvy, and we're learning a lot already. Naomi Bloom, Managing Partner at Bloom & Wallace, and of course, Sherry Ann Meyer, the all caps Sherry, we're changing it to all caps, the expert for human resources, <laughs> business processes, and technology at ASEG. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break, unless Naomi hijacks me and forces me to have some rum. I don't know what's going to happen. We're just going to say, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The world of work is changing faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly human resources can adapt and lead through accelerated ongoing change. A corporate culture that embraces differences and innovation is among the top winning strategies for business success. How can human resources shape such a culture in their organizations? One that is moving forward in step with business development, acquisitions, mergers, digitally demanding employees and customers, and changing workforce dynamics. Join our experts as they share game-changing ideas and strategies for leading business success through the next millennium. Game-Changing HR Leaders is presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group's Recharge HR. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP, America's SAP Users Group's Recharge HR. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to game-changing HR leaders. And here we are. We're back. And my two very special guests, very smart, savvy, are Naomi Bloom, managing partner at Bloom and Wallace, and Sherry Ann Meyer, the expert for HR business processes and technology at ASUG, America's SAP Users Group. Now, we're talking today about the robots are coming. The robots are coming. No, they're already here. Yes, they may not be at your workplace, but they're sure as heck at a lot of others. Let me read a quick quote from the article at Wired.com where Sherry Ann found her wonderful quote in the opening today. This article says, Oxford University researchers have estimated that 47% of U.S. jobs could be automated within the next two decades. And it adds, and if even half that number, that would be 28%, even half that number is closer to the mark, workers are in for a rude awakening. Perfect segue, and I'm going to read one of the talking points from Naomi Bloom, and then she'll take over. Naomi says, there's been a lot of discussion about what types of jobs are the most obvious and immediate targets for elimination via advanced automation and robots. Let me just stop there. Naomi, why don't you expand for me, please? You know, we've, we've been seeing certain kinds of jobs eliminated over, you know, our working lives. There are no telephone operators anymore. Secretaries are, you know, very thin on the ground. 
Um, even in, in uh, something as simple as waste collection, garbage collection, the old two-person on the back of the truck, one guy driving, has been replaced by one guy on the back of the truck, one guy driving, and the truck has sort of this arm thing that picks it up and makes the dump and puts it down again. Mm-hmm. And at least in my area, they're going to driver only um, because they don't need that guy in the back of the truck anymore. So we've been watching this. This is not new. What's happened, though, is because we have developed better techniques in automation and better techniques in autonomous machinery and in robotics, there are many, many more jobs that are now really under threat. And up till now, as older jobs, older kinds of jobs have been automated out of existence, we have had creation of whole new kinds of jobs. The problem is we haven't been creating lots of jobs for the unskilled or semi-skilled. And we're going to be nuking many, many more of those. I've made a list of some of the characteristics of a job that make it a very good target. Mm-hmm. So for robots, and I'm talking now about humanoid robots, if there are repetitive movements, so picking things off a shelf in a warehouse, um, rolling an elderly person side to side in their bed to prevent pet bed sores, mm-hmm. If the work is being done in a tough environment, an environment that is, a, is tough environmentally or because people are screaming at you all the time or uh, bad climate conditions and so forth, if the decision-making is algorithmic in nature and can be easily codified, doesn't require human abstract judgment. Mm-hmm. And also, if, if the nature of the work is such that whether it's good work fun work or tough work, if there's a shortage of people able and willing to do it at the right price point, these are great targets for robotics. Thank you, Naomi. I'm looking while you're speaking at, uh, I Googled this again, and I found a, a wonderful article with some graphs, beautiful charts at theatlantic.com in their archive from, let's see, from 2014, what jobs will the robots take? And there's a color-coded chart here, probability, they just simply call it, and I think this is to not hurt anybody's feelings, the probability of computerization. And they start with at the lowest end, management, business, and financial, and then somewhere in the middle, sales and related, they've got farming, fishery, forestry, production, transportation, material moving, uh, education, legal, community service, arts and media, and how you put robots in arts, computer engineering and science, uh, service jobs, office and admin, you mentioned that, Naomi, and uh, construction and extraction. So very interesting if anybody wants to Google it. sherri I'd love to hear your comments on Naomi's profile of where robots might hit hardest in the workforce. Well, she's she's absolutely spot on. I just uh, came back from a trip, and the restaurants now and the airports have iPads in them. You place your order on there. It cuts down on wait staff. Place your order, pay, put your tip in. Everything's taken care of there. Your food's delivered, and that's it. You leave. Um, so think about the time that saves the traveler and the you know in the airport, but also the amount of staff that that saves. You go into places like Wawa. They all have touch screens to order. On. Uh, in fact, I'm kind of surprised, actually, that McDonald's hasn't turned to touch screens yet to order on. Um, but you're absolutely right in that one of the things that I've noticed is that, you know, when we first started outsourcing tech, Naomi, I started thinking, you know, well, everyone started saying the best place to be is in the service industries because they're never going to be able to outsource someone cooking your sandwich and handing it to you, right? But mm-hmm. in fact, the robots are coming in and taking the place of that, too. So 
Yeah, you're absolutely targeting the the semi-skilled workers and those types of things that um, their jobs will be replaced. That is a little scary. Um, Coming out of college today, even with a bachelor's degree, it's tough to find a job. Um, But not having anything, just having that high school diploma could get increasingly difficult. I'm not sure. I'm a little worried about our kids. Look, I think there's much higher order jobs. So, for example, um, if you go back 15 years, 20 years, when you had your mammogram done, two different radiologists read the mammogram. They read it separately, mm-hmm. and That's if there was true. any difference in the read, they, right. uh, they worked that through. And then that second read was offshore. Actually, the first read was offshore with digital mammographies. That first read was offshore in many cases to India, and a qualified radiologist there read it. Uh, someone in the U.S. read it. They worked out any differences. Then that, then the digitized data was put through algorithmic processing, and they had three reads, a computer-based read, somebody offshore, somebody here, work out the differences. That offshore read is disappearing because there's no need for it. The computer is doing it just as well, if not better. So how much longer will we require that there be um, uh, a U.S.-based uh, uh, radiologist reading your mammogram? I don't know the answer to that. But the progression is obvious. You, mm-hmm. And you mentioned you had just come back from a trip. Um, people are sending me things all the time now. And one of my cousins was on a cruise on one of these mega, mega, mega cruise ships. The bartenders were robots. No. Wait, hold hold on, Naomi. They, they Naomi, that's... Naomi, that how can you have a heart-to-heart psychology conversation about your your life and loves with a robot bartender? We know it's the bartender and the hairdresser who are supposed to listen the best when you can't find a qualified therapist. I know. Oh my, you just killing real therapists. No cruise for me. I'm 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 seeing my therapist later today. I'm gonna have to tell her she better be careful. There could be a robot in my future. I don't know. Very interesting. Sherry Ann, I want to talk to you about what happened back in the seventies, talking about rolling back in the time machine. In the seventies when you worked for a, a company you left recently, you had a robot delivering the mail. I don't think you mentioned that yet. You wanna tell us what that was like? Yeah, that was pretty cool, actually. I mean they were really cutting edge and ahead of their time. Um, there were tracks in the floor that the robot followed, and he was programmed, he, she, it, was programmed to um, know how to deliver, where to stop and deliver the mail. I'm not sure exactly how it worked, but, I mean, that was the 70s. Um, they ultimately got rid of it because, if you can imagine, I mean, I'm sure the technology at that point in time was much more cumbersome and much more expensive to maintain. But today, that kind of service could be developed rather rapidly and rather inexpensively, and things are smaller and smaller. I mean, think about the possibilities. Um, so, I, you know, I thought, I thought that was an interesting story. I thought, you know, that was pretty cool when I got hired there. And also, the cool thing about it was I thought, what a cool company to work for. So I can imagine that some companies will even do that, will even employ robots just to, you know, have that appearance of we're high-tech, we're progressive, and... You know, they'll invest the money in that, just as they're investing in mobile devices to have the appearance of being on the cutting edge. I also saw another thing recently where, um, and and somebody at the company I worked for developed one of these, where it's a very simple robot that walks around with an iPad, but the beauty of it is if you have kids that have to be at home and be homeschooled because they have serious illnesses, they can participate in the classroom through this iPad-like robot and cameras, so they can see what's going on in the classroom, and have their virtual participation in the classroom through this robot. Very you know, interesting. And um, I, go ahead, Naomi. Oh, I'm sorry. 
No, you go ahead. I, I'll wait. I was going to say, one of the companies that I worked for was Suncor up in uh, Canada. And they were, um, their major, major firm involved in the, um, uh, the, the drilling for oil or the creation of oil extracts from, um, uh, from sand, from um, oil sands. And, and where this work gets done is way up in the far north, in the back of beyond. It was always a problem to get folks to go up there. It was extremely expensive in terms of both salaries and benefits, but also they had to provide housing. I mean, there was nothing there. And so firms like that and some of the big mining companies operating in the wilds of Australia, et cetera, they have long been working on autonomous vehicles because they have these humongous vehicles they use to both extract and then to carry the ore. And being able to have the driver located a 1,000 miles away living in a you know, wonderful uh, setting and and. and behaving as though he's a drone operator. You know, when we, when we do drones for military purposes, the drone operator is sitting somewhere quite comfortably well out of the combat zone. The same thing can be done with autonomous vehicles, and one operator can handle many of them, and eventually, uh, you know, whether we need operators or not, you know, sort of a moot point. Think about airplanes. Today, the, the pilots, the human pilots, fly that plane through takeoff and landing, but everything in between is autopilot. Mm-hmm. That's true. So, and, and I want to mention to both of you, uh, several years ago I was invited to take a tour of a New York Times printing plant in Whitestone, Queens, and I just looked it up, and there's an article somebody wrote on a field trip blog. I'm not sure why, but they go through great detail. It's in off the Whitestone Expressway, which is on the way very near LaGuardia Airport in Queens, about 20 minutes from where I live, and um, there were robots. And Sherry Ann, you mentioned tracks, I think, in the floor. The robots mm-hmm. are moving humongous reams of paper to the printing presses and the tracks in the floor are all computerized and some kind of a machine controller or traffic director if you will tells which robot which bolt of paper for which system to pick up and move and you you have to we had to wait this was years ago we had to wait sometimes for the robots to be moving these their cargo of these huge bolts of paper across the floor it was like you needed a traffic cop to say robot number one going to printing press number 493 <laughs> And there it was. So it's not new at all. It was just fascinating. I, it had to be at least 10, 15 years ago. Has either one of you ever seen that in a, a factory setting? I, I have. Some of that. Uh, not, not, in about, a, not in a printing plant, but if you look at the Amazon distribution centers, uh-huh. right, um, there's, there's not a lot of people running around, and there's a tremendous amount of stuff being moved. Yep. Right. And if you think about it, it's not just the labor that they're saving, but those types of jobs are very prone to injury. And so they're avoiding a whole lot of lost time accidents, workers' comp claims, health claims. It it goes on and on. No one gets sick. No one gets pregnant. No one wants vacation. (laughs) No one complains about overtime. It's a perfect world. Now, wait a minute, Naomi. Naomi, hold on. Maintenance. Hold on. If Google is putting personalities into new robots and they're patenting it, there might be little robot babies down the line. I don't want to shock anybody, but <laughs> it's remotely possible, but I don't want to get into the biology of robot procreating. Let's not go there. Sherry Ann, I want to move into 
what is HR supposed to do? What do you say? We have 12 humans and three robots. Everybody come to a conference room and we're going to have a meeting talking about our holiday party. Do you invite them? Do you say to them, we're going to be taking an online learning class? Robots sit in the back row and we'll plug you in. How do you include them or are they separate? What if they end up knowing more and more efficiently than the human workers and the humans are looking at, hey, somebody go get Mary Robot. She's not going to make it till Sunday. She's taking my job. How does that work? The human emotion and and how does HR address this? Sherry, let's start it with you, and then we'll get Naomi's two cents well, in here. Go ahead. You're raising some very interesting points. I mean, there's the human emotion side of it. Yeah. But certainly you have to think about just not even the human emotion side of it, but there's, there's scheduling to be taken care of. You want them to be treated as equals, quote-unquote equals, right, um, which means they have to continue to be, quote-unquote, trained, educated, i.e. updated, it's not like you bring these robots in and nobody ever pays attention to them again. They, you know, there's, there's work to be done around that. So there's another type of job to be managed or another type of skill set to manage a robot. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I think that eventually they will have feelings that will have to be dealt with and perhaps reprogrammed to the job. I mean, can you imagine, you know, you've got a robot today who's picking up paper and delivering it around the the uh, warehouse and you know tomorrow you tell them well you know what we have a new robot that can lift more stacks of paper than you can so we don't need uh. you to do that job anymore what happens does he get upset <laughs> you know, Naomi what do you think I think, I think long before we have to deal with the emotionally debilitated robot um, we have to deal with the emotionally debilitated employee um, you know, there was a lot of there were a lot of articles going back uh, five to five to ten years when when offshoring was really big. Um, employees uh, were training literally training their replacements, their offshore replacements. I did that, and um, there were some fisticuffs. There was, but there was a lot of grinching of the teeth. And I, I think that's going to be one of the first issues we have to face um, as as robots enter the workforce uh, more visibly and in more places, um, employees are going to have to turn things over to them, mm-hmm. um, convey to them information about the work at hand, and I can't imagine human workers feeling good about that. Again, can you imagine? I mean, if you've got, think about all the cybercrime today. I mean, if you've got any kind of... Um, knowledge and how to set a virus off, you could um, make the entire robot population sick at, at your place of work. Huh. <laughs> Didn't even think of that. So you, you all were, I, I think we're raising some good questions. The process of onboarding a robot, deploying them, educating them, scheduling them, everything to get them to be a productive member of the workforce, which is they're not there because they make good coffee or maybe they do. They're there because there is a job to be done and somebody has made the decision that technology is providing a non-human worker who can do it better, faster, more efficiently, less emotionally than a human worker. So the decision has been made and hopefully somebody tested out and met and trained that robot before they come onto the shop floor or, mm-hmm. or in the office, whatever. So is HR's job going forward to introduce the robot population to the appropriate human population? And and in my intro, Sherry and Naomi, I talked about processes needing to change quickly now. Are the processes for the humans? Or are they for the robots or for helping the humans acknowledge and accept the robots. What processes, Sherry Ann, what processes does HR have to change at all with, with robots in the workforce? 
Well, lots, but HR is supposed to be a change manager and a change leader. Um, and, you know, I think they're going to have to think way ahead on this one. That's why it's such an important topic. But if you just talk about the, the idea of scheduling, scheduling workers on the shop floor and the robot is due for, I don't know, replacement parts and can't come in a certain day, that's all part of how you're going to schedule your human workforce with your robotic or non-human workforce. Um, things like that. Um, how many, you know, you have a rapid increase in production, which is something we saw with tech. You know, we had rapid increases for new technology workers. And so going to an outsourcing model was um, billed as being, you know, the great solution to everything because your workforce was suddenly flexible up or down. Is the same true of your robotic population? Or could you have a real slump off in your workforce because you've counted on robots that now no longer function for whatever reason. Um, there's all kinds of things they're going to have to think about, and my, my concern is that they'll go the same way they did with contingent workers and say that's that's purchasing's job or that's the business's job. Uh-huh. Business wants to put a robot inside their plant to manage lifting paper. I don't really need to worry about that. They do need to worry about it. They do need to be aware of every single business condition and be prepared mm-hmm. to address it. Interesting. Naomi, love to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, Talk I was to me, say, the good, There's some good news here in that the best-run companies have learned how to do workforce planning um, to encompass all manner of workers. They haven't thought about non-human yet, but certainly all flavors of employee and all flavors of contingent worker. And we have learned to adjust our acquisition processes, onboarding, assignment, development, um, and so forth, Again, to accommodate many flavors of employee, because we have part-times, we have one actually employed, we have on-call, we have all kinds of flavors, and the same thing with contingent. So at a minimum, we've learned how, some of us have learned how to think through the workforce-related processes and adapt them for different kinds of workers. And frankly, the best software out there, not everybody's running on current generation, but the best of what's available absolutely has the structures in place to be configured to do that. And I actually have spent the last year and a half um, going through my uh, human resource management object model and process designs and architectural underpinnings to see exactly where we have to make changes and how would we go about doing that in a way that is evolution rather than throw out all the software and start over because um, we can't throw out everybody's brand new in the cloud software. Um, and so I think we do know quite a bit about how to do this. The problem is that we have many, 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 many organizations running on software that doesn't even do the contingent workforce right, having processes in place that don't even handle the contingent workforce properly. And so, you know, they are in no way, shape, or form ready uh, to even think about these issues. Mm-hmm. Right, you're so absolutely you- right. I mean, the, the possibilities exist. It's whether or not the people in the business areas are, are paying attention enough to be prepared for that. And let me just say one more thing, because it applies to our conversation right now, but it's really a bigger issue. Okay. The gap between the best of what's going on in HR and the best of what's going on in HR technology and what's commonplace, that gap has grown tremendously over the last 20 years. And I think closing that gap um, without pulling down the best but pulling up the others mm-hmm. is going to be the challenge that we collectively have um, to somehow figure out 
because many of those that are lagging are simply not going to be viable businesses. And, of course, if they're not viable businesses, all the jobs go away. Right. Right. I want to talk about recruiting in the few minutes we have left before we go to predictions round, which will start in about three and a half, four minutes. Um, Sherry-Ann and Naomi, thoughts about, well, first of all, competition enters its, its ugly face where somebody is competing inside their company for a higher job and they find out a non-human could be brought in to do it better or they have to be trained to have a non-human support them and then what happens to that salary bump they worked so many years to get that they may not get anymore and the other thing is how does a company and this is maybe not a, a an HR issue but maybe it is when you're recruiting a robot does that mean you have to have all the vendors of that style of robot with that functionality you need come and bring their sample models to you rather than you putting out a job search or let's say on LinkedIn and saying hey we have an opening in such and such department uh, taking applications now it would be more of a buying I think Sherry and you meant it would be a, a buying uh, exercise basically which robot fits so are you your recruiting costs, the cost of visiting places with robots or entertaining the vendors who bring you the robots. How does HR cope with the spreadsheet or, you know, what, what today would be the equivalent of a spreadsheet in terms of the cost of employees and the productivity of a robot versus their cost? What if a robot costs a million? An employee doesn't cost a million, a human one. So, Sherry, any thoughts on that? How, do they, how is HR being prepared to juggle this difference? I don't think HR is being prepared to juggle that difference. But you raise lots of interesting points. Um, and certainly, you know, the way you just spoke about it implies that it's going to be a buying exercise. They're going to pick a partner to work with who's going to deliver the best robots to them uh, mm-hmm. to customize to their needs. And HR is probably going to be left out of it and not really think okay. about the downstream impact until later. Um, but that's why it's important to have these discussions because HR should be at the table. HR should understand. When you talk about a robot costs a million dollars perhaps and does that replace one employee, I don't know. It depends on how much the, that robot can do. How, you know, how much work can that robot produce? He might be able to produce five times as much as one employee can produce. You know, when you think about all the, I don't have to pay benefits to a robot, I don't give him vacation time, there's never any downtime in theory. Um, is that a better mm-hmm. deal? Who would be the buyer, Sherry Ann? Would it be the it would be the head of HR list by special invitation? Who in the company would it be? The IT department who would be buying that robot? Who who decide, Who writes the job description? Oh, it's really going to it's going to have to come from the business. The business, the, the plants, the operations areas. They know what needs to be done, so they're going to be the ones that are first to identify the need and what can fill the need. Who or what can fill the need? Right. Um, but IT will definitely be at the table because there will be interfaces. There will be interchanges that need to be set up. There will have to be some kind of maintenance program that is technically challenging. Um, so they'll definitely be at the table. I think HR is going to be the last people they think of to bring in because I think they're going to, most people are going to think it's a business decision. Naomi, thoughts on that? Managing. Well, Thank you, know, you Sherry. That, that really takes us back to the very beginning of this conversation. Um, early days of contingent workers, um, HR wasn't present. It was assumed to be a business decision. Nobody was paying too much attention. The decisions were made in isolation. Um, each group that thought they needed some kind of a contract worker kind of handled it themselves. They might have gotten some advice from procurement. They might have gotten some advice from legal. They set up something in accounts payable. And HR wasn't there at all. And I frankly think we're about at that same point 
when it comes to robotics. Um, what really should happen is at the highest levels in a company, there should be decisions being, uh, issues being discussed. What business are we going to be in? What are we going to make? What are we going to buy? Where are we going to do it? Um, you know, what is our basic business model? That whole conversation should be going on with the HR leader, not just present, but a full participant. Because out of that conversation comes what is the nature of the work that has to be done, what kind of work is best done by traditional employees, what kind of work is best done as gigs or by contractors of various kinds, what kind of work is best done by traditional equipment, traditional uh, uh, plants and equipment, what kind of work is best done by humanoid robots. And once those kinds of decisions are made, we all know that many companies will advertise for an employee, discover that it's a hard-to-fill position, contract in the meantime, and so forth. The, the, this is fungible. I mean, we, we ebb and flow and, and um, you know, try to do one thing, are forced sometimes to do another. I think all of that's going to continue. And frankly, if in any specific organization, if HR is not in this discussion up to their eyeballs, they're disintermediated, and we're back where we started with contingent. Thank you, Naomi. And you know what? You just gave me your predictions, but I'm just going to ask you to add a year. You, you were great forward-looking thoughts. Uh, when will we see – just give me uh, – I, I need to give Sherry Ann two minutes for, or a full 90 seconds for her predictions. Naomi, just a 60-second cap off for your predictions now, now that we're in the unofficially and officially in the crystal ball segment of the, of the show, Naomi. Uh, by 2020, what changes do you think we'll see in the robotic segment of the U.S. workforce on a general broad brush basis? One minute, please. Frankly, I think we'll know the ending. I think we'll know whether we're headed toward some sort of leisure-rich utopia where the robots are you know, doing wonderful things for all of us and through you know, marvels of income distribution and so forth, everything is just wonderful and glorious and we're all happy. Or the exact opposite. We have tons of unemployment. Our consumer-driven economy is, you know, tanked, and uh, people are pretty miserable. I don't think in 2020 it'll be just some sort of middle ground or we don't know what's happening. I think the story will be written. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Very appreciated, Sherry Ann Meyer. I can give you, oh, exactly 60 seconds. Go ahead and predict for me. But what Naomi just said is flooring, right? Because in five years there'll be robots um, doing the work of us and increasing costs and giving us more work-life balance. I think that's pretty scary, but I think she's right on. And I think that we're actually going to see a hierarchy with the robots. I think you're going to have robots that manage robots. Um, it's only the next natural progression of things. Um, and I think that it, it will relieve some of the overhead of having to worry about well, how is this, how are the robots functioning? How much are they producing? Are they really doing the work of one or more employee? Um, what's their performance like? Are they getting performance reviews? When do we retire them? Some things, some things will need to be in place to manage the life cycle of those robots. Thank so you. Life cycle, such an interesting robots. Sherry Ann, such an interesting word. You said life cycle. I'll just let that one sit on the table. I want to do a special thank you. I caught that. I want to do a special thank you. Naomi Bloom, such a pleasure having you join us today. I hope you enjoyed yourself, and I wish you a very happy holiday season. Sherry Ann Meyer, what can I say? Always great working with you. And Little Birdie tells me you're renewing this series, so send me all the paperwork today, tomorrow, please, and we'll get everything rolling, and we'll come back with a lot more, a whole new season of game-changing HR leaders in 20- 
2016. I have a couple predictions tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern. I'll be back with the future of business with Game Changers talking about PLM, Product Lifecycle Management, and next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern on Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'll be back with part two of our prediction special. We had 16 thought leaders today pack their predictions into 57 minutes of live radio. We'll be doing the same exact thing for part two next Wednesday, so mark your calendars. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Quick shout out. Jeff Spinard at World Talk Radio. Feel better. And Justin Jackman, thank you so much for being my engineer. Great working with you. And Everybody have a good one. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. The best-run businesses run SAP and run simple. Tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and Twitter handle R-E-C-H-A-R-G-E-H-R. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.